0: Please keep your Bibles open there at Revelation 7. But before we get uh, back to that, I'm going to draw your attention to an old hymn. Uh, We've sung a couple of old hymns this morning, uh, or certainly older than us, uh, a couple of hundred years ago. I was reminded uh, this week that I'd shared with you a little while ago the words of Blessed Assurance uh, and shared a little bit of its tune. Uh, Blessed Assurance, written by uh, Fanny Crosby. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. You're hearing some echoes of Revelation 7? Perfect submission, all is at rest. I in my Saviour am happy at rest and blessed. Uh, Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. The chorus goes, this is my story. This is my song, praising my Saviour. All the day long. Is this your story? As you trudge through the mud of life, is this your song? Are you someone who can praise your Saviour all the day long? Is it possible? Can we have a wonderful and secure confidence that God knows us, that God is present with us, That God cares for us, no matter what we go through? How can we have this blessed assurance? Uh, Yesterday, I ran into a guy that I went to primary school with. We haven't seen each other in more than 20 years. Uh, I don't know who recognized who. Uh, Some people say, I certainly don't look anything like I did uh, 20 years ago, but we had recognized each other. Uh, to, we, we grew up together, we used to live just around the corner from each other and uh, here we were connecting after more than 20 years uh, and 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 uh, we've known each other on Facebook, uh, so seen a little bit uh, of each other uh, and as we were chatting and, uh, and, and, and talking about what's been going on and, and, and where we're at in life and where we're living and what we're doing, one of the things that he said to me at one stage, he was, he goes, you know, when I look around, this is what he's saying, when I look around our mates that we grew up with and, and where we are now in, in kind of 20 years on since we, since we left high school together, jobs have come and gone. Almost all of us have moved through multiple jobs. Relationships have come and gone. Many of us have been in and out of marriage and other relationships. Hobbies have come and gone. And he said, but for 20 years you've stuck with this christian thing why uh, earlier this week on thursday uh, i was interviewed by a sociology class uh, from gungalan college they came to our church building to our office uh, they had they were researching uh, faith religions and their place in the local community and they had a lot of great questions, most of them were apologetic uh, kind of questions and what I thought about uh, same-sex marriage and marriage, um, marriage equality, uh, but one of the questions that came through began with this statement, uh, society regards Christianity as outdated and irrelevant, so why do people come to your church? Good question, isn't it? Society regards Christianity as outdated and irrelevant. Why do people come to your church? I had to answer that question on your, on your behalf today this week. I hope I got it right. I think the answer is in Revelation seven. The, revelation, the, the answer for my mate from high school, the answer for the students and, and teachers from Gungarland College. our answer today. For blessed assurance is in Revelation 7. We get this heavenly vision of the reality behind blessed assurance for now and into the future. Why it is that we can stick with this Christian thing. We, we, we see the, the true permanence and relevancy of Christianity in Revelation 7. Now, something I noticed just over breakfast this morning as I was reading through Revelation 7 again, uh, despite having read, read it, dozen times during the week. I don't think this chapter, unlike any other chapter in Revelation, this one doesn't mention judgment, doesn't have great wrath, it doesn't have beasts and it doesn't have Satan. This one's kind of all pretty fairly kind of positive, a positive perspective on what's going on in heaven. A little bit different to some of the other chapters but those other chapters that do mention judgment and wrath and beasts, not there to make us anxious about Uh, doom and gloom. Remember as we've been saying the book of Revelation is about revealing Jesus to us. It is a warm uh, pastoral letter so that we might be encouraged and equipped for trusting and obeying Jesus in all times and especially in the hard times. Now last week we were looking at Revelation chapter 6 which shows this scroll of God's being opened, the scroll of God's Great plans for eternity, opening the seals of judgment and salvation. And there we saw the, 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 the judgment and hardship that would be coming on that is coming uh, and has come on the earth that is faced by Christians now between the ascension of Jesus and His return. There's things like the deception of evil, and we saw their conflict, poverty, famine, persecution, marginalization, and death. And as we came to the sixth seal in chapter 6 verses 12 to 17 we see a ramping up of this judgment to the, to the great day of judgment which is at Jesus' return. Let's go and read for us again from verse 15 in chapter 6. Verse 15 in chapter 6, as we've ramped up with the opening of the sixth seal, which is still to come in the future at Jesus' return. Verse 15, then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And it ends with a question, verse 17. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? Now chapter 7 is a new vision that answers this question. Who can stand? Who can have blessed assurance? Who can stick with this Christianity thing? Now to answer the question, this vision in chapter 7 actually jumps back in time to before the judgments that are represented by the four horsemen in chapter 6. Last week I told you that as we deal with timelines in Revelation, it's a little bit like a a rugby league defensive line. Sometimes it's running up as a a line and sometimes it's, it's, it's coming back down the field. And so time in Revelation doesn't just go from this year through to this year, but at various times with different visions, where we're moving forwards and we're coming back. It's uh, like um, the way we've now tuned in to watch YouTube videos that come to us. We don't press play and sit back and just watch away. We, we quickly scrub or, or, or grab the, the, the little slider and fast forward and, and rewind to the bits that we actually just want to watch. That's how we watch Apple TV at home. We don't sit down and watch the show, oh no, let's jump to this bit and Back to this bit. Well, that's kind of what happens with time in Revelation in a little bit. And Revelation 7 takes us back in time before the judgments of, the, of Revelation 6, of the seals being opened, the four horsemen. Uh, the Old Testament background to these horsemen is in Zechariah 6, where four horsemen, uh, who are also called four spirits or four winds, are associated with judgment. And now this vision in Revelation 7 shows us that God's judgment is held back. The horsemen, the winds are held back until God's people are sealed for protection. Let's read again from verse 1 in chapter 7. After this I, this is John, saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Sealing of God's people or marking of God's people for protection happens a number of times in the Bible. It's not unusual here. In Ezekiel chapter 9, Ezekiel chapter 9, God sealed or marked his Old Testament people who were in Jerusalem before the Babylonian invasion invasion and judgment that came on them. In Exodus chapter 12, when God's people were slaves in Egypt and the plagues were coming on Egypt so that the Pharaoh might let Moses and his people go. Remember that? On the last plague, the, the Passover, And the the plague of death, God gave his people a mark. The blood on their doorposts would be the sign that they belonged to God and they would be kept safe from the devastating judgment that would come on the land. Christians are given a mark, a seal by God. Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul tells us, You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Those of us who have put our trust in Christ are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And now here in Revelation 7, God marks his people has marked his people for this age between the ascension of Jesus and his return, so that we can be confident that if we belong to Jesus, we will not be harmed spiritually through these hard times. We might experience anxious times, poverty, war, persecution, death. We will trudge through the mud of life, but always perfectly secure in the eternity that God has promised. This is real blessed assurance. And so real that in this vision that John has, it's so real there's a heavenly census to count those who are among the blessed assured. Verse 4. John says... Then I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. And then we get this, get this list. They're, they're counted off like a great army representative of Old Testament Israel. 144,000. Is that about 1% of the population of Japan? This is what John hears and what he expects, 144,000, a symbolic number really that is huge for John. But when John looks, that's what he hears, but when he looks, he sees something far greater than what he expected. Verse 9, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and in front of the lamb they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands John looks he expects a big number he looks and he sees a great multitude he sees a number that is literally uncountable he sees what God had promised to Abraham way back in Genesis 12 and 15 that he would have more descendants than what there are stars in the sky And John sees the fulfillment of this, not of biological descendants of Abraham, but Abraham's true descendants. The promise of Abraham, of a great family, of a great nation, is one of those promises that weaves its way right through the whole of the Bible. And Jesus tells us that the true descendants of Abraham, of those who have faith like Abraham, are those who believe God's promise and hang on to it. Here in Revelation 7, it is those who belong to the Lamb, who are the true descendants of Abraham. It's those who are, who are wearing the white robes. It's those in verse 14 who have come out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That sounds a little bit strange. Strange. I don't see anyone here today wearing white that has been washed in lamb's blood. It's gathering together a whole bunch of biblical images that are really talking about the white of purity being pure in a relationship with God because sin has been dealt with in Jesus. That we stand in a relationship with God where there is no shame, where there is no guilt, there is no wall of hostility, there is no barrier, where there is no uncertainty of being accepted by God. And when it talks of great tribulation here, it's not something that's coming in the future. Yes, there's still judgment and all that to come in the future, but here this is talking about a present reality. Uh, Here, the vision that John has got has actually jumped to a different perspective, not to show us the perspective of back before the seals were being opened, but to this broader perspective of between Jesus' ascension and Jesus' return, we are now in the time of the great tribulation. And John is actually seeing into heaven now of all those people who have died, who have gone through the great tribulation of this age, and they have now died trusting in Jesus, and they are now secure for eternity in relationship with God. What we have here is a picture into heaven on the other side of death. This is one of the parts of Revelation where we're not just dealing with a vision that is out there. This, this is real and personal. This is where we get a glimpse into heaven and we see our brothers and sisters in Christ who have died before us. This is a picture of those who have been kept by God through the great tribulation of this life and this broken world and they've been kept into eternity with God. This is where we see the realisation of, of the promise that Jesus gave us in John 10 that his, his father, the great shepherd, will not lose anyone who is entrusted to him from his great shepherdly hand. This is the realisation of the promise in Romans 8 that nothing... Nothing, neither death, nor life, nor a demon, nor angel, nor nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is for us in Christ Jesus. Now we have a whole bunch of questions that aren't answered here for us. But what we do know of being on the other side of death is that we will be in heaven, that we will be with God, that we will be free from sin, that we'll be free from brokenness and all the tribulations of this world. And in verse 10, we see what our brothers and sisters and what we will be doing when we join them are doing in heaven now. Verse 10. They cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. To help us remember what they're doing, I've invented a new phrase today, the blessed assured rants. We're talking about blessed assurance and in heaven the blessed assured rants. Uh, rants not in a negative kind of sense, but they, rants in the sense of, they rant in the sense of praising the Lamb. Brothers and sisters who have, who have gone through this age and into death and into heaven are there now with the angels and the elders and the creatures praising God. All of their focus is on God. Verse 12. They're saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. God is the focus of all praise and worship in heaven. There is not one person in heaven other than God who is being praised for contributing to their salvation. Not one of our brothers and sisters in heaven, not one of the elders, not one of the angels, not one of the creatures that are there. No one is patting themselves on the back for making their way into heaven, for sticking with this Christianity thing for contributing something towards their salvation, towards being freed from sin, towards being accepted by God. Ephesians chapter 2 says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. We sang in our second song this morning. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. That is how we come to Jesus. And so then that the focus of all eternity is on God and his salvation for us through Jesus. Will you be content with that being your future in heaven? That Jesus is the focus of all praise and worship? What about now? Are we content with that now? God being at the center of our lives and the praise and worship of Jesus? Jesus? Well, every bit of encouragement that we need to focus our lives now on Jesus and to persevere with him into the future is captured in the final verses. Verses 15 to 17 really are incredible promises. Promises, I think, would have blown John's mind. This is the Apostle John, who knew Jesus face to face personally who saw the things that Jesus did when he was on the earth, who who heard firsthand Jesus' teaching, things that Jesus would claim. And here, as he sees into heaven these promises, he can see all kinds of fulfillment of the kind of things that Jesus was talking about. Follow along with me, please, in verse 15. Uh, Speaking first of those who are uh, washed Uh, who have washed robes in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, verse 15, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Not very exciting, perhaps, if you don't like camping. But tent here is the same word as tabernacle, of pitching a tent, of of being in relationship. And John tells us in chapter 1 of his Gospel, that the Word, God, became flesh and pitched his tent among us. Those who have gone through the great tribulation and into heaven are in God's campsite. God has pitched his tent over them. And the promise continues in verse 16. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. Remember when Jesus stood before the crowds who were like a sheep without a shepherd, and there he fed them. John saw that. And here is a promise that never again will they hunger, and never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them nor any scorching heat, for the lamb at the center of their throne will be their shepherd. John heard Jesus describe himself as the good shepherd, the one who knew his sheep and that his father would lose no sheep from his hand. The promise continues in verse 17. He will lead them to springs of living water. John came back to the well to find Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman, offering her the water of eternal life. Verse 17 continues, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. john was at the foot of the cross as jesus was dying with jesus mother and other women round about jesus entrusted them to one another's care but also had them looking forwards to the new heavens and the new earth where every tear will be wiped from our eyes this is what is in the future for all who belong to jesus What is in your future? What do you expect on the horizon of your life? If you're not yet a Christian, what are you expecting in the future? What are you expecting on that seemingly far horizon beyond death? from what you know today what 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 are you certain of of what will happen behind that time what is in your future i genuinely want to invite you into the promise and assurance of revelation 7 for for this to be your certainty now i know that's not an easy invitation to accept It's not easy, but there's not much that we need to do. Uh, Turn to Jesus. Turn to him in repentance and faith. Entrust our lives to him. There's not much that we need to do, but I know it's not an easy invitation to accept. Uh, Because if we're someone who who is dreaming of a future one day where we achieve greatness or recognition, this kind of view of the world conflicts with that if we're somebody who wants to set our own moral compass in life, be the master of our own destiny or or, or do what we want when we want to do it and make our own mind up about those kind of things, entrusting ourselves to Jesus conflicts with that. That's not easy and straightforward. It's not a straightforward and easy invitation to accept. You will feel real conflict about accepting this invitation, about turning your life around to accept this kind of invitation. And so so I don't want to push you or rush you into that this morning, but don't do what I do with some blogs that I think are really cool that I should read or a video I should look at, and I save it into a Dropbox folder to look at later. It's the biggest Dropbox folder on my computer. I haven't looked at it since the day I set it up, and I drop all these kind of things that I think are important into there and just forget about them. Don't do that with this invitation. Because if you keep tuning into this series, if you keep reading through the book of Revelation, while everything in chapter 7 is this exciting and wonderful invitation, in the rest of Revelation there's some terrifying realities for those who don't belong to Jesus. And so don't just park it in a Dropbox folder and forget about it. Revelation holds out to us this invitation to blessed assurance for every day. But particularly in hard times of of uncertainty and pain at the brokenness of the world. A blessed assurance when we go through personal attack. Particularly for being a Christian when we face opposition or persecution for being a Christian. Just when we trudge through the mud of life, Revelation invites us into blessed assurance. Jesus promised that this age between his ascension and his return that we will see hard times. John himself experienced it. Jesus expected it. And so I want to leave you this morning with Jesus' prayer for his disciples. In John chapter 17, I encourage you to turn there with me now. This was all going on on the night before Jesus died as he's telling his disciples that he was going to leave them. that the time of tribulation was now now really about to begin. They were going to go through some hard times. They were going to trudge through some mud. They were going to be marginalized. They were going to be opposed. They were going to be persecuted. Some of them were going to die. They were going to suffer. And Jesus was preparing them for that, telling them about it. And in John chapter 17, he prays for them. He doesn't just tell them about it, but he prays for them. He entrusts them to God. He seals them with God's protection. And as much as this is a prayer for Jesus' disciples who knew him face to face, it is a prayer for all who belong to Jesus and follow after him. John chapter 17, verse 6. Jesus says... I have revealed you to those whom you gave me and out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. So I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I'll remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. No one has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world." I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. That is Jesus' prayer for his disciples that they might be protected and sealed by God, by his Holy Spirit, to preserve them through these troubled times, that they might stand with their other brothers and sisters and see Jesus in all his glory in heaven. That is Jesus' prayer for us.